Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. On December the 29th, 2016, and this is the last service class of this year. Isn't that amazing? And I haven't had one tomato thrown yet. And by the way, we're broadcasting from Coolidge, Arizona. We're in Revelation. Uh, by the way, we see some in here from Oregon tonight. And uh, you're welcome aboard. I don't know who you all are, but you sure look pretty from here. And Kay and maybe Tanya. Well, that's good. All right. Um, glad to have all of you on board. Uh, we're into we're into the last of the uh, bowls of God's wrath and anger being poured out against Jerusalem, and then we go into the remaining chapters, and they simply expand with more details of where we've already been. We'll talk more about that, of course, when we get to it. But that begins with chapter 17. This one ends the wrath of God. Now that tells us something about God, doesn't it? Doesn't it? That you don't mess with him. He gives you every opportunity that he can to come around, but he warns you, if you don't come around, don't take advantage of your opportunities, then you're going to find the other side of me. And that's what Jerusalem was discovering. God holds every man He holds every woman accountable. Are you listening? He holds every man and every woman accountable to those portions of Scripture that relate to somebody else. And we just hang on that one for all we are worth. Or God holds every man and every woman accountable to those Scriptures that they find themselves already compliant to at some given time. Is that how it works? I like the way you think. <laughs> You're kind of liking that. Yeah, well, now you see. You're going to burst my bubble, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's where we are. That's, where how, that's how church people are. You know, if... They feel like if, if they're compliant to some things that they're really obvious and already in compliant with, then they realize that they have to be held accountable to that. They don't realize that that's not the whole story. You're a covenant people. And we have, to, we have to be in tune with the whole covenant. Not that we always know all the whole covenant, but that, that's why we come together is to learn what we need to bring ourselves in compliance with, and two, and that process of learning and then bringing ourselves in compliance with is called what? You've got it, Alex. Right off the top of his head, he said that's what the word repentance means. You see, you can't repent if you don't know the Scripture. So you read the scripture with the intent of what do I need to do to bring myself in compliance, and when you decide I'm going to bring myself and do whatever it takes to bring myself into compliance, that's repentance as you do it. And then you have something to ask God to forgive you for because you have violated the scripture, you know that you have violated the scripture, and now you have Christ as your high priest. That's the only reason high priest is there, is for when you discover that you need to correct 
something in your life that's found in the scripture that you haven't been compliant with, then you need a high priest. Because he's the one who then becomes your advocate with the Father, your go-between. And that's the purpose of prayer. Well, the seven seals, we're in chapter 16, folks, and we're going to actually begin with verse 17, but before we get there, just this statement. The seven vials, or seven bowls of God's wrath, have been poured out so far upon man, mankind, upon kingdoms, systems, upon the sea, the inland water courses, the sun, and now the air. Now, doesn't that about do it? I think that just about covers everywhere there is to go. I think God's wrath didn't miss anything. What about the, what about the moon and the sun? It, that was in there. Uh, in one of the earlier vials, we dealt with the sun, moon, and stars. We dealt with who? Who was the sun, moon, and stars? Remember somebody quick? Sure, that was leaders, uh, you know, political leaders. Um, um, and uh, particularly yeah. when it's referring to Jerusalem, it's referring to the. You're right, but the Jewish. who by name? Jacob and the twelve sons. Jacob was the sun, and the twelve sons of Jacob were called the stars. Constellations, even, and, that, and that's right. In a, as a constellation, that's in Genesis. That's how they're referred to, and that's what uh, in our book of Revelation. That's when he refers to the sun, moon, and stars. He's talking about them because they have their Jewish background. Part of part part of his promise. Part of his correct. That's right. For the first covenant. Well, for for that's right for the national covenant as a part, and the Jew and the Jews reading that would know what what that meant, who he was speaking of. You know that is so important because the people to whom the Bible was written all knew what it was that the author was talking about. You and I don't, and our people and our churches have kept us out of the old covenant, so we don't know. I don't know that that's intentional, and I'm not there to make that accusation, but it may be. Because the reason, the reason we get so messed up in how we look at the New Testament is we don't have any background in the Old Covenant. You know, we, don't have, uh, we don't have familiarity with the terminology, with the language, with the words, with the symbolism of, of uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The symbolism there that we can go back and see historically the fulfillment of those symbols and then carry them over to the New Testament, that the people to whom the New Testament is written, they knew that. We have a problem with it because we're not students of the Word. That's going to change. Well, I didn't have a problem with it. I just kept forgetting it, and it made studying the book more difficult. When I remembered to remember that, a lot of things became easier to remember. From Revelation. It starts in Genesis. The yeah, figurative yeah, language. Knowing, typo, that that's what they had. And that's all they had. Because at that time, we didn't have the New Testament in writing yet. Okay, let's go to verse uh, 17 of chapter 16. The seventh angel poured out his bowl. upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying it is done that means he's got nothing to do right yeah that that's right alex that means that he's got a whole agenda behind this thing that he has not revealed yeah that's what the word it is done means <laughs> you catch on so quickly 
Okay. Now, verse 18. I think we've already dealt with verse 17 enough. Uh, verse 18. And there were flashes of lightning. Oh, you know, before we go through, uh, get out of verse 17. I, I want to in the notes. I, I hadn't looked at. I hadn't looked at the notes yet tonight. But um, you know, when he talks about upon the air, now that's all that's left. We've already talked to you about everything else that he's poured out God's wrath upon man, mankind, sun, moon, and stars, the kingdoms, upon the sea, the inland water courses, the sun, and now the air. That's about all there is. Everything else has been hit. Air is the only thing that is left. And that what that is signifying, if you don't understand or agree with my particulars, and that's all right, one thing it does signify that there is no escape. There is no escape. There is how much escape from the wrath of God? Absolutely none. Absolutely none. He has covered every base. Once God gets to the point that he gives you up, there's no escape. So the judgment against Israel of which this book is written about, I hope you get that now. He's not, this, this book of Revelation is talking about Israel. That's how we introduce the book. Have to go back to the earlier lessons. That's all spelled out for you. We can't keep going back all the time. Oh, well, we do some. But the judgment against Israel is done. Predicted through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Picked up throughout the various epistles. But now, the book of Revelation brings it all to closure. That judgment against Israel is done. Now, why then would we want to revive what God has finished? And said, I'm done with these people. It is all over. I have poured out my wrath upon every dimension of Judaism. Why would we want to revive it? Why have folks tried to revive the law? Why have folks revived the idea of a physical temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem? Why do the Mormons own property there to have the angel come and rebuild this temple so that God can re? develop his residence in Jerusalem again? Why do all of the Calvinists all want to build a new Jerusalem or a new temple in Jerusalem when God says, I'm done with Israel? I'm done. Let's, turn, let's go to Luke 21. I wanted to get done, but you know, Alex gave me a severe rebuke last week. How many of you remember what it was? I take those rebukes very seriously. I went home and cried for two hours. Luke, uh, Luke twenty-one, twenty-two. You know what? He, did anybody hear his rebuke of me last week? See, you should have been more pointed. Something about you were going too fast. That's right. Exactly. You remember? He said, "Slow down. You're going too fast. Don't get in a hurry. Stay." Stay with the program. I, I agree with that. You do? Yeah. You will agree with Alex? That's a smart move. Well, uh, yeah. So it, it's hard for you, isn't it? No. It's going too fast. It's going too fast. See, you need to tell me that. Because okay. then I can speed up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'd expect. Sometimes when you go too fast, it's hard for me to understand what you're saying. Okay. And you kind of mellow out and then say the words. See, that's, he's supporting what you told me last week. I like that. Oh, thank you. Yes, I really do. All right, look at uh, Luke 21. If you, can, if you guys didn't hear all of this conversation who are listening in, uh, they rebuked me last week for going too fast and covering too much material too quickly and told me to slow down. So I'm going to try to do that. I'll do the best, well, 
I'll give it a whirl anyway. All right, chapter 21, verse 22. We've been here before, folks. There's nothing new here. Because these are days. These are days. What are these days? He's talking about it in the earlier part of this chapter, verses 20, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Remember all of that? We've been through all of that. Recognize that her desolation is near. We've been through that. Those, are, those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. That's not you. I have, church, I have friends in the church who went out and bought property in little distant villages thinking they wanted to be a part of this movement. Folks, this was 2,000 years ago. They're not in Judea. It doesn't make any difference if you buy a house somewhere in some little uh, village somewhere. It has nothing to do. I mean, you can do that if you want to. But it's not going to have anything to do with the fulfillment of this prophecy. That's, we're not in this. Those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter that city. In other words, if you're not in the city, stay out. Leave. Head out of town. Get out of Dodge. Now. Because, verse 22, these are days of vengeance. Whose vengeance? God's vengeance. I'm glad you all said that together. So that all things I love those pauses. I can hear folks thinking all over the country. All things? Yep, folks. Revelation is the fulfillment of all things. These are the days of vengeance. When you see this thing that's affecting Jerusalem and the temple, these are the days of vengeance so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. That covers the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is carrying out what is predicted by Jesus in Luke chapter 21. And once you get that, you're not so worried about whether every, every symbol we get figured out right or not isn't really the story. Do you see the big picture that Israel is facing the judgment of God because of their relationship in the rejection and the murdering of the Redeemer? That was serious stuff. And they did not repent. So there were flashes and lightning and sounds and peals, verses 18, and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came upon, came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. So here we have eyes, the flashes. We have ears, the sounds. We have the, the feelings picked up by the vibrations of a great earthquake. Josephus records this as literal history. He talks about these things happening literally. And I believe that is obviously accurate, but I don't think that ne that necessarily is what he's talking about in verse 18, even though there was natural phenomena used to describe this upheaval and all the sensations of, in, of uh, insecurity. Because I think that's the key, that these things all symbolize that there was no escape. It was a sensation of insecurity described by those people who were experiencing it as you would if you were experiencing this kind of turmoil in your life. You could say it was like a flashing of lightning, uh, sounds and peals of thunder, a great earthquake, maybe not literally, maybe not physically uh, perceivable, but at least in how it is affecting you. It's such a dramatic change. Oh, absolutely. In your fields and and flashes of lightning all throughout traumatic points in time. We, we talk about, I'll talk about that a lot, how 
heels of what have thunder and lightning are used throughout the word. Throughout the word to, to describe to upheaval. Deliver, really deliver a message. Yep. You, you've got it right on. And that's how I look at it. As all of these things uh, create a sensation of insecurity from these people because, folks, there's no hiding place. Now, I see, you know what compacting is? How many of you folks are bidding construction? You know what it means to, these streets out here are compacted to some, I don't know what they do down here, but let's say the uh, 200 pounds. What does that mean? What does it mean to compact soil? Compress pressure. Mm -hmm. So what are they doing when they do that? Making it harder. Well, they're making harder, but what is it that has to happen for it to become harder and more compressed? What are you really doing in compaction? I'm going to tell you. This is an engineering term. You're squeezing and pushing the air out. That's what compaction does. It pushes the air out of the soil. Like the trash compactor. Like the trash compactor. Yeah. And so this this seal is affecting the air. And these conditions are compacting. So there is no escape. There's no hiding place. Even if you have burrowed yourself into a mole hole, that Mike's got a comment. Oh, okay. Can I hear him? Yeah. I, it, just a slight uh, rabbit trail here for you. In this passage, you, you see how people today, everything that God does for them is good and wonderful, and, and he hates all the bad guys and, and won't do anything. Uh, it appears that this passage here, he's supporting all the bad guys in beating up on on the good guys. <laughs> Did we get all that right? Can you can you tell me what he can you can you repeat some of the ideas? I think his the general feel of it was when people speak of God today it's all the good things he does for them oh. and then all the wonderful things. This is showing the other side of God. And that's ironic because that's what you opened the class with is people are going to see the other side. They're going to see God as he is in his wholeness. That's right. And I, you, you picked up on that. I don't want to see that side? You don't want to see that side? No. Not, no, not. Well, no. then shape up. Yes. <laughs> and when they talk about end times today, they're talking about... God coming and, and making their kingdom and everything will be wonderful. Well, these end times don't seem to paint that picture. It, evidently, they're asking God to come back and, and beat the crap out of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's what he did to Israel. And by the way, Mike, just I don't know where your thinking is. I don't know how long you've been tuned into these classes. I, I know probably not too long. But remember that the New Testament does not deal with the end of time. I know, I know, you, and and see that, and that's what all of all of mainstream uh, Christianity is talking about is the end times these days, and and and, and they don't know what they're asking for. That's right. <laughs> they're, they're asking if for they're at, if they're trying to get these things that are here to be applicable to our time, they're looking for some hard times. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, why would you want to do that? I don't know. Anyway, that was a side note. Thanks. Oh, that's all right. We'll uh, we won't charge you any extra for that. All right. I, I like the participation. I I love uh, I love the commenting. You all know that. Now let's go. So in verse 18, I'm simply saying that whether these are natural or according to natural law, uh, Josephus says they there were evidences of these things happening. Uh, at the very last, just prior to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, I, I think I have some references to Josephus and that somewhere in our notes today. Um, not sure. I don't see it right offhand. But anyway, um, I, I see this as the, the tremendous sensation of insecurity 
that was caused by all of the events of this last time that came from every, every source, every source, every source, not from the ground, but from everywhere. So everything was being squeezed out that could hide. Verse 19, the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And one word I would like to have Alex check on here is the verb, the great city was. Um, I wanted to to know if... um, Was would be divided, uh, would all be in that verse. So it's singular. Um, oh, look at that. It's in the indicative mood. So look at the, uh, it's in the middle voice. Middle voice. That's yeah, that's, you know, I did, I did not see that before. Oh, I love this class. It's fun to learn something new. I need to make a note of that. You all need to. It was divided. In other words, because it's in the middle voice, what is he saying? The city had divided itself. Yeah, I hit myself with the bat. With the bat. Yeah, I hit myself with the bat. Not a smart thing to do. So that brings it down to the the three the three the three major factions in there of Jews fighting each other. Yeah, they're destroying the city. Now, last week I gave to you an idea about how the three division was laid out. I'm giving you all an alternative view tonight. Why do I do that? Not to confuse you, but to know that you have to do your own thinking. You know, you've got to do your own thinking. We're not quite there yet. So anyway, and the cities of the nations fell, and that's one the notes that I sent out uh that Greg set out to you <clears throat> from uh, Jesse Mills on, um, I forget what the title is, but you, you've got his notes. And the reason, one, I had two reasons for sending that out, is that in November, Jesse Mills passed away. And he was a full-blooded Indian and if you ever want a good book on this subject, I don't agree with him on everything, but folks, he's got some real scholarship. He approaches it from different perspective, uh, somewhat cultural, possibly, but uh, you know, don't let that get to you. But he deals with the right view on most of these issues. But what I was going to point out was there was an error that he made because he missed it in the Greek. And um, the, um, uh, so he missed. And then he writes a paragraph, and I, that's what I sent to you, was a paragraph that he wrote based on the misuse of one word. We're not going to deal with that tonight. We're going to move on. That's not important. But mainly I want, want you to know that he had, he had passed away. I was hoping that sometime in the future we were going to be able to have him come here and speak to us, but that's not going to be gone. Uh, but he has a website. Do you know what the website is, Neil? It's just Jesse Mills. Uh, Maybe just Jesse, Jesse Mills. Jesse Mills Ministry has a great website, lots of material in it, and all of his books are accessible through that website. Very worth plugging into if you want to go more than what we're doing. Um, and, but also that as, as much as he had a handle on so much of this that most people have missed, because he didn't check out one word, he writes a paragraph, that isn't right. Don't let that bother you. Don't let that discredit him at all. It was just to illustrate to us, we have to be careful. I have to be careful. And that's why I like to be proven wrong, because of why. You have a chance to fix it. You have to learn from it. There's nothing wrong with being wrong unless you're going to dwell on it and use it as a leverage. We don't buy that. No, if you're wrong, you fix it. And then it's over. 
So uh, I think that ought to be our attitude about learning. I could write a book about that. About being wrong? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, probably I could too. Okay, so the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of, this is verse 19, and the cities of the nations fell, and uh, that's, this was in verse 19, Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce, 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 oh, his what kind of wrath? Fierce. Fierce. Wrath. What does that word fierce conjure up in your mind? I think my cat is being fierce. I went out this morning to let him out, early this morning. He jumped on me and bit me and drew blood. That's fierce. <laughs> I swatted him good when he picked himself after being knocked to the wall. <laughs> he was been a nice kitty all day. But, Bab, so... There are some important things here. Let me read some of the notes on verse 19 over to the right. Jerusalem itself is encompassed in three walls. Now, this is different, uh, a little different uh, view than what I gave you last week. It's really not a different thing, but it gives you a different um, aspect of the three divisions. And this is, this is um, uh, all from Josephus, Wars of the Jews, Volume 5, uh, and uh, section 1 and verse 4, Wiston edition, and that's an important edition that we like to use the most. Anyway, Jerusalem itself was encompassed in three walls and the city divided into three parts, the upper city, the lower city, and the Ophel. What does that word mean? High ground. All right. Everybody with us on that? So the upper city, the lower city, and the what? Awful. The awful means what? High ground. It is worth noting that the division of Jerusalem into three parts also mirrors the prophecies of Ezekiel concerning the city's destruction by Nebuchadnezzar. So if we were to read these scriptures, and I have a, a lot of them here in, uh, to go through. Possibly we don't need to do that. Um, but the same language was used in regard to the old Jerusalem of 600 B.C. when Isaiah and Jeremiah wrote about the destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. It too used the language of divided into three cities. Let's, let's take time to read Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse 12. Let's go back to verse 11. Ezekiel 5, verse 11. So as I live, declares the Lord God, surely. Because you have defiled my sanctuary with all of your detestable idols. And by the way, an equivalent of that today is that we have defiled the dwelling place of God, which is the church, with all kinds of detestable theology, which are idols to the denominational sectarian world, which are abominations to God. That's why my time here in Coolidge, I intentionally was asked to and devoted myself to dealing with all of the elements that we possibly could in the time that we had with all of the elements of Calvinism, because they have destroyed the Lord's church from one end to the other, around the world, has been infiltrated by it, and folks, we've got to retake the ground. 
Did you hear that? All right, let's move on. Verse 11, so as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary, that's my dwelling place, the church is the dwelling place of God today in the new covenant, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all of your detestable idols and with all of your abominations, therefore I will also withdraw and my eye will have no pity. I, my eye will have a little pity. My eye will have some pity. Oh, I just can't help it. I got to weep and I got to sob. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. Everything's okay. Is that what it says? No. I got a good, strong no. That's what I like. My eye will have no pity. How much is that? None. No pity. And I will spare those. What? Oh, I didn't mean to do that. I will not spare. I will have no... Is this the God you know? Or have you created a God after your image? See, I'm, I'm, I'm not just doing revelation. I'm building, hopefully, Christian character as well as we go along. We need to understand the God who is there is not the God as we have perceived him. He's a God that doesn't put up with any foolishness. I just had a message from God while we were thinking here that anybody who misses this concert on February the 26th by Bob is going to be severely punished and their skulls will be Split in three parts. Just got that message. Yes. Let's go on. My eye will have no pity and I will not spare. But that's, we got to go to verse 12. One third of you will die by plague. Remember, we were talking about the third thing. That it was prevalent in the destruction of Jerusalem then under Nebuchadnezzar as it was to be under the Roman Empire here, in the book of Revelation. So it's not new language. One-third of you will die by plague or be consumed by famine among you. One-third will fall by the sword around you. And one-third I will scatter to every wind and I will unsheathe the sword behind them. What does he mean by that? Just what he said. The sword behind them. Oh, I'll take my sword out of the sheath and run them down. Cut off their heads as I go. Yeah. Even if you're going backwards, you'll get it. None will escape. So do you want to mess with God tonight? Oh, no. That's three-thirds, David. Huh? That's that's three-thirds right there. Three-thirds. And, of course, and, and my point is that Revelation is dealing with the, the city itself, but we've talked about all the way through here a third, a third, a third. under the seven trumpets. We have the same, that's a phrase that's used in prophecy as it relates to Jerusalem. Now, let's, but let's go on. And one-third I will scatter to thee, and I will unsee the sword behind them. That means there's no turning back. You're on the run, but you'll never outrun me, and I've got a sword that is swinging right behind you. And I'm going to start with the legs. I'm going to work myself right up to your neck. Folks, this is not the God of Christendom today. But if we understood the God who is there, then you would see a need for Jesus Christ. The reason there's no need for him is we've got a God who loves everybody, who is compassionate toward all unconditionally. Well, why do we need Christ then as a Redeemer? See the point? So until we get people to see God, and I'll tell you, the Revelation is a great place to go. 
to get people to see the God who is there, he means business. There are consequences. There are consequences to every man and every woman for what they do, how they think, how they act. Consequences. We've got to remember that. Even in their natural law, there are consequences. All right, verse 13. And thus my anger will be spent, and I will satisfy my wrath on them. I will be appeased, that they, then they will know it. The Lord, uh, that I, the Lord, have spoken in my zeal when I have spent my wrath upon them. Moreover, verse 14, I will make you a desolation and a reproach among all the nations which surround you in the sight of all who pass by. And on and on he goes. But you see, that's relating to the fall of Jerusalem under, in the time frame of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we see that Jerusalem is also the subject to God's wrath, but this time there's no recovery. No recovery. But in Ezekiel and in those prophecies, there was also a prophecy of restoration. There was, that's right. Of a time frame and then restoration. Good. There is no such prophecy of, of restoration here. to the Jews here. No promise of restoration at all. That's the big difference. They have no hope today. Besides, Nebuchadnezzar was fighting the same kind of battle, but against a smaller city. Right. But it was still laid out kind of the same, and it still had the same obstacles. Well, some of the things that represented that were representative of the tabernacle were still there yeah. and real. All right, moving on, because I we've got a couple of minutes here. Let me see here. Um, so the language is new. I mean, the language is not new. We have the city in three parts. Three separate people in the last week's lesson, but they occupied these three divisions. And that's where they come together that I, I wanted to make sure that was understood. So three walls, three cities, three part, parts of the city, and um, they were occupied by the people that we talked about last week. Now, I want to talk about this word remembrance. You thought we were going to get through tonight. We are not, so let's not worry about it. But I do need to deal with this word. We may not complete it, but this word remembrance is a, a word that nowhere appears with reference to any nation or city of the Gentiles. This is a word that is uniquely a term of covenant. Folks, I could build a series off of, off of this word. Let's go and look at some of the verses, and we're going to quit on time, so we just have time for a couple. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, or chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 1. We'll read just a few here. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1. Now these notes are over here. They're over in the left column now, under the word remembrance. God remembered remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused the wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. So God remembered whom? Noah. Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle, all the kitties, all the gophers. He remembered them all. Now go over with me to chapter 9 and verses 15 and 16. What what I'm trying to get here is that when this word is used in Revelation chapter 16, 19, that Babylon the Great was remembered before God, that he's talking about the covenant that tied Babylon to God, because we, know, we understand Babylon to be what? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And that, that covenant 
that God had made with Jerusalem had both blessings and and curses. curses. And because they did not do what the covenant required, they are now meeting the consequences of the cursing of God. We have a new covenant. We had better be true to it. All right. Verse 15 of chapter 9. Behold, I, I will now, I, I will remember my covenant. If there's anything that God remembers, the only thing that God remembers is his covenant. So folks, if you're not in a covenant relationship with God, God doesn't have anything to remember about you. He's not thinking about you. He's not thinking about you. Now, how do we get into a covenant relationship with God? Well, when we believe in Jesus Christ, who is the author of his shed blood with the new covenant, we meet that blood covenant when we are immersed in water, having believed who Jesus was. When we rise to walk, we, are, we have risen to walk in a new covenant with God. We are now remembered by God. And then around the Lord's table, that covenant is renewed one week at a time. That's why we partake of the Lord's Supper on the new day, because that is the source of us renewing the covenant that was established in baptism. And we are perpetuating that covenant so that God will remember us. We remember him. As we remember him. That's true. It's always conditioned upon our coming to him and remembering him and keeping ourselves in him. All right. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. Now Sunday morning in the class I'm going to deal with natural law. We'll deal with some of this stuff uh, Sunday morning. Let's go back to verse... um, Let's read one more. Let's go back to verse 6. Now here's a covenant... And we're going to close with this one. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. Whosoever shed man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. That's the value that God places upon man. After Eden, man had not lost his value. Whoever shed man's blood Actively, by man, his blood shall be shed. That's capital punishment, folks. If you're a left-wing liberal, you won't like it, and you should be first in the guillotine. For why? Why is that so true? Because he never lost of his image. He's defiled it, but he's not lost it. For in the image of God, that is God, man is a propositional and a thinking creature. He thinks propositionally. That's how God thinks. So we are in the image of God. We are sovereign. We have limited sovereignty, and God has unlimited sovereignty. But we can make all kinds of choices. God doesn't manipulate us. He doesn't tell us that we can't make some choice. You can go out tonight and get yourself killed because you're stupid. God isn't going to change that. He's not going to step into your mind and change all your ideas and your thinking. God isn't going to micromanage your thinking. He has given us a standard. We have to come to the standard, and we have to learn the standard and bring ourselves into alignment with it. And that leaves us with absolutely no excuse. No excuse. Sovereign. Because we're sovereign. Individually. Individual sovereignty. And you don't mess with somebody else's. You are each a sovereign being. And so God has established limitations to that sovereignty. But remember, our sovereignty is limited by the covenant. God is sovereign in the infinite sense. But his 
sovereignty is also limited by the same covenant. You see that? Do I need to go over that again? He won't make himself a liar. He will not make him. He will not use his sovereignty against his covenant. God can do anything he wants to do. What's the limitation of what it is God does? He will not violate his natural law, the systems that he has put in the universe. That's the truest, purest form of love possible. That there's consistency. We know what to expect. We know what to expect. We know about the Earth's rotation, revolutions. We can count on that. Your alarm clock can count on that. Those are law. Are there variables? Natural law has a lot of variables in it. But God has placed those variables in there as well. He has, he has placed variables in the process of childbirth. The process is natural law, but there are tons and millions of variables within the birth of every child. Those are variables. Hopefully they don't come out like me. Well, there's no chance of that. (laughs) There could never be two Alex's, (laughs) not on the same planet at the same time anyhow. Okay, folks, Uh, we're going to stop there. Our time is up. You've been patient tonight. We only got one of those verses read, but I think there's enough value here that we need to spend a couple more, a few more minutes on that next week. And that extends beyond where we are in Revelation, but it's something that most of our folks don't have much background in. Father, we are thankful for the impact of your word upon our thinking, how we see life, And may we understand you as you are through this study of the book of Revelation. In Christ we pray. Amen. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.